break out your rally caps or Mavery or short covering chapeaus because Wall Street just closed out another historic day. The Dow surging more than 5%, a 1,293-point gain, its biggest point game ever. Wow. The Nasdaq and S&P 500 also posting monster gains. 468 of the S&P 500 went up today. This follows Wall Street's worst week since the financial crisis 12 years ago. But today, every S&P sector finished solidly in the green. There were also more big moves in bonds. The benchmark 10-year Treasury hitting its lowest level earlier today at 1.03%. It did bounce back, ended at 1.16%. But yields here are still down 40% this year. Simply incredible day all around. And the trillion-dollar question that we ask tonight is a very simple one. Should you put your faith and your money in the rally that we had today? Welcome to Fast Money, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us on another big day. Your traders on the desk, Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. Guy, I'm so eager to get into it. I just chunked the names. But kick us off because we've got this 1,200-point rally, truly incredible, ended on our highs but are you a buyer? Remarkable, right? So, I, listen, I'm not going to pretend to say I saw this coming or any, any percentage of this coming today. But what we talked about on Friday, and I know it because it was only a few days ago, we said, look, you can take some solace in today's action on the fact that a couple things happened. The market has bottomed on days where the VIX has traded somewhere between 35 and 40. Obviously, we got that in spades on Friday. And we also pointed out, if you go back to September of, uh, I think it was 2018 or so, Friday's close basically was the resistance level of the levels we saw back in September right before the market sold off. So we flagged those levels. Now, again, I didn't see today coming by any stretch of the imagination. So what's next to answer your question? Well, today's the recent low of 28.55 in the S&P, the recent high, the all-time high of 33.93 on February 17th, a 50% correction puts you at 31.25, so 1% from where we closed. I think it's reasonable to think that we'll rally tomorrow towards those levels and then fade on the back of what should be continued selling. So if you think about today, not only did every asset class work, but, but you also got you know, this, this dynamic when markets start panicking, policymakers start planning. So this whole concept of coordinated central banks. And, and once again, we can, we can sit around being real frustrated about what central banks can actually do here. We can be frustrated about how the Fed has created this. Uh, you know, basically, the market is, is uh, there's a lot of terms I won't use in terms of how the market needs to respond to the Fed. But that's, that's where we are. Um, what's very interesting, or I think the, the dynamic here is a lot of folks come in today, they tune in tonight and they say, oh, wow, is this December 2018 when this was a V-shaped recovery? And here we are in a dynamic where we're truly looking at the economy, and we don't even know the extent of where the coronavirus is. So I think investors, again, prone to go back to the old playbook. I'm not sure this is V-shaped. I don't even want to get out there with that one way or the other. But that has to be where investors are right now because this all happened so fast. And let's be clear, Tim, and I want you to follow up on that point because, and again, we're not throwing water on this. This was an amazing day. A lot of people made some of their money back and that's good news. But here's the thing. If you look at all the data, okay, half of the biggest gains that we've had, point or percentages, also come in bad times. 2008, 2009, we can go back to the 80s, whatever you want. Was there an element of panic buying today, which in many ways is not healthy? 
I, look, there's, there's no sense. There's, there was a lot of panic buying. There was a lot of panic selling. We, we, markets were at a nine RSI uh, on Friday midday. They hadn't been that low even through the December levels. We know how oversold we were. This type of a bounce shouldn't surprise anybody. But these events come in difficult and, and dangerous markets. If you, look, if you look at the top five percentage, biggest percentage gainers of the Dow in history, all five of those came in 2008 and 2009. And the point is, in bear markets, you get these nasty rallies. I don't know if this is a bear market or not. I don't think there's enough information out there for anybody to know that at this point in time. But you can get these nasty rallies. I think the next thing you have to look for is the G7 coordinated call tomorrow. Because it's really difficult to stand in if they are going to have coordinated central bank action and some sort of coordinated fiscal stimulus, which is ultimately, in my view, kind of the economic governmental response to all of this, that's really hard to stand in front of as a short. If anything is, is anything short of that with what they do tomorrow, then I think the market fades like Guy's saying. So I think tomorrow's a real critical day. I would just say, if on Friday afternoon you were looking to dump out of your portfolio, why not take a little bit off at these levels after this rally? I hate days like today. I mean, even what? though I, because I, even though I'm long, last week was a disaster. I mean, this is not healthy, right? Companies, the value of companies did not move 5% today. Sentiment changed, right? And the oversold that Tim's talking about was, you know, nearly thunderous. Absurd. Crazy. Absurd. Right? So th- this kind of action I don't really like. There was a lot of things to like for the market to go up. There was a lot of fuel for the fire. You know, you had coordinated G7. You have the expectation of a big Fed move. I think even uh, Klobuchar dropping out of the race and throwing her support toward Biden a helped Biden the market. Bounce. The Biden bounce, absolutely. To the extent that Bernie is weakened, I think that's better for the market. So there was a lot, I guess, to like. I'm not a buyer on a day like today. I'd rather be a seller and risk being even really? more bloodied by the end of the a lot day. Of people buy into the markets, as my southern yes, relatives yeah. might say, <laughs> Guy. No, no question. But, you know, you look and you would think, all right, the market's up a historic level in terms of Dow points and S&P points probably as well. Yet the VIX still has a 33 handle, I believe, which, you know, if you'd asked a couple weeks ago, people would have said preposterous. It's never going to trade there again. Yet here we are for a day like today. Again, it's interesting. You, I'm glad you mentioned it because everybody, when the markets go down like they went last week, it's always panicked. The market's panicked. Just if you want to give that, that's fine. You know what? The panic was there in spades on the upside as well. It's not fundamental on the way up and panicked on the way down. You have both up and down. And we had some data points today, and again, a lot of stuff floating around, Guy, where people on Thursday and maybe Friday bought some of these double and triple inverse you know, market short bets I wonder how much of today was that recovery. Can I say something about those things, sure. first of all? And, and, you know, with all due respect to, to the, the companies that have built those things, those ETFs are really dangerous. They're, they're, they, you can play them in the short term, but if you play them and you actually use them tactically for any meaningful period of time, the amount of erosion in the underlying position, I think, is very dangerous. Um, I, I would also say that I don't think these are markets you want to trade. I don't think these are markets you want to step in and step out based upon what you think is going to happen. And we've seen this so many times. Uh, I talked about where... I. The closest 
market allegory or analog I saw was, dis- was August of 2011 when we were downgraded from the AAA in this country. You had huge problems in Europe. Uh, basically, you had this kind of a dam- dynamic in the first eight days of August. Then you had this thing where markets went up 6%, down 6%, up 6%, down 6%, and finally had a wicked rally into the end of October before dumping people uh, right back you know where by the year end. This is, this is an environment where markets are trying to figure out what the global impact of this. Look at the PMIs that came out across Asia uh, this morning. China had a 35 manufacturing PMI. I know that's the center of the storm. I know that's uh, probably an aberrant number, but I don't think you should be in there trying to trade this. And I think those 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 triple levered ETFs are very dangerous for most people. Well, and to your point, Tim, on on you know what's going on in China, we know that that number is likely lagging. So you say, okay, fine, the the factories are going to get back up and running. But now the question is, and again, you don't know the answer to this, where's the demand going to come from? Is Europe now shut down? What's happening here in the U.S.? Are those the demand factors that are going to slow down? And even if those factories in China get back up and running, who are they producing products for? That's the part that I think is unbelievably difficult to tell at this time. And it's really difficult to trade this market because you just have zero information. Yeah, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm looking down because I'm reading an email that we got from Bob Bassani, who might come on. It's his daily trader talk. It's fantastic, as always. $984 billion changed hands today, according to Goldman Sachs. The volatility, my point is, is on the upside and the downside. And some people got stressed out. In fact, I'm not, again, I'm not going to pick on Robinhood. But Robinhood was down for most or all of the day. And if you Didn't were, that happened to them the last time we had a big I think it happened to better. My point is, those folks, and I don't know how many there are of them, a couple hundred thousand or a couple million, they were unable to participate in this day. And so there's another... Might have saved them from themselves. Might, maybe, but, but there's a, there's a <laughs> risk. Could, anyway. There's a risk to these high-volume days where we're learning that there are risks in other ways. Extreme price moves. Right. Extreme reactions and maybe some technology fails. Well, extreme reactions. I mean, again, getting back to global central banks coordinated to do what? What exactly? Is cheaper money going to somehow stem the tide of people traveling? Just anecdotally, you talked about it before. You were supposed to be at a conference over the next couple of weeks that's canceled. And I know I had a conference scheduled towards the end of March which is at least 20-something days away that was just canceled as well for the reasons we're talking about. You guys get me. By the way, I'm sorry you were going to actually have a desk without me at the end of the week. I'm back. I will be here. Apologies for all <laughs> because you're not traveling. Exactly, I'm not but, traveling. But, but, but do this. So do, let's connect the dots to the stock market, right? Because we're fast money. We'll get to Apple in just a moment, Karen. Mm-hmm. The reality is Tim Seymour, Guy Adami, Karen Feynman, BK, myself, who cares, right? But we get on a plane. There's th- hundreds of thousands of us going to cities, spending money in hotels, restaurants, taxis, Ubers, whatever it is. That is economic loss. That is not, I'm not going back. I may go back to Houston, but I can't go back in time. And we don't know how this is going to impact the E side of valuation, price right. to earnings. What are earnings going to be? How long is this going to go on? We don't know, but I do think con- companies will get a free pass for probably the first quarter and the second quarter, and then we'll see. I mean, you know, we talked last week, you said, why wouldn't every CEO out there be, you know, guiding down or removing guidance? Any of that makes total sense, because they really don't know, for one, and why not give yourself a little bit of room? 
but back to the, the, the multiples and the valuations, I mean, you know, the other side of all this is that money is free. Uh, and in fact, your, your valuation based upon a discount rate, which is often priced off the 10-year, um, is now priced off of a 115 10-year. And, and that gives equity multiples an enormous amount of play if you want to do that. And let's be clear, this is in a, in a world where central banks are pushing us all out the risk curve. Um, this is a dynamic where equities become very, very attractive, especially those big companies that have a lot of room to do what they need to do in capital markets, including well, buybacks. But they're only, I mean, and I think this is what you're saying, but they're only attractive because rates are so low. That doesn't mean they're attractive because the fundamentals are good, which adds to the complexity here because you could actually have, you know, you have economic effects of this that are greater than necessarily the health effects. That's not to minimize the health effects of it. But if everybody starts to cocoon and everybody starts to quarantine themselves, then you have a big economic shock here in the U.S. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. right, if you have stimulus, fiscal stimulus, global central bank stimulus, you can have the stock market go up, the economy going down, and confusion all over the place, which is why I think it's good that people aren't trading. It's good to say, listen, the stock market is not the economy. Can I say one thing? Because it sounds like we're being kind of negative on on an up day, and and maybe we're being negative on down days last week. Um, What's very positive is that today, I would argue that the news flow around the coronavirus was worse. Um, And you have a dynamic where I think investors have had a chance to digest the economic impact. The entirety of the unknown is out there for us all. Um, But markets um, were able to find a little bit more rational on an irrational day a little more rationality. Yeah, good stuff there. And I, I don't think, I think, Tim, I think everybody's being fair. I mean, it's better than just saying, hey, great day, everybody start buying stocks. You can't do that. I mean, so I, I think a little bit of skepticism right now is a very healthy thing. All right. The biggest stock in America, a big part of this move, Apple, surging more than 9%, Karen, for its best day since 2008. Oppenheimer may be helping fuel those gains. They upgraded Apple to an outperform, $320 price target. About 20 minutes ago, I saw a note from Evercore ISI, an after-the-bell report saying their data shows that App Store revenue surged 20% in January. Uh, Good time to get into the stock or buy more of it if you own it? Well, I'm long, so I guess I wouldn't be a buyer here. As I always say, if you go home long, it's like you bought it. I mean, this move you is didn't crazy. Buy more today. No, no, I didn't buy more today. This is a crazy move on really no fundamental Apple news. I mean, I guess, you know, Tim Cook was talking about India and uh, Trump helping in India for Apple. But, I mean, it's, I, I don't know. I wouldn't jump in today and say this is the day I got to buy it. I do still believe, though, that... Uh, that 5G is the, is the driver here, and that I think there's a very good chance that the 5G story plays out at the end by the second half of the year. Yeah, I mean, if you want to think about what the positives for Apple in this environment is, if you think about you know interest rates at lows, and even if you have some kind of economic shock or a recession, you have Apple, which has a massive stockpile of cash, so they're going to be able to cover their liabilities, cover any dividend that they're going to pay, and then they almost have this kind of utility effect where your cell phone is the last thing that you're going to get rid of. You, it's, it's essential to most people. So, you know, I, I again, I'm not going to be buying Apple up after this massive move. But I think in the next week or two, there may be a time to have a real good risk, re, uh, risk reward entry to Apple. 
Well, market, Apple's a market proxy, so no matter what, Apple was going to outperform uh, on the way up, and it was just like it did on the way down. So if you take the trough to peak, and it basically closed on the peak, so the trough from Friday, uh, for those playing at home, 17% in the world's biggest company. You can do the market cap swing, so you know somewhere around $250 billion of market cap was added to Apple off those lows back up to the highs. Um, the Oppenheimer note, interesting note, uh, they do downgrade a bit on EPS going out to 2021. Uh, they took it down, looked to be about 7% on some of the obvious overriding factors. Um, but they say at, at 320, this is, a, this is a stock that not only technically has upside, so they can upgrade it um, from a from a upside to valuation uh, to target. And then they've also just talked about the same things we just talked about. I think it does come back to valuation. And I think if you look at the valuation of Apple uh, right here, you're around 20 times 2020 numbers. What do you want to do with the stock um, in an environment where they can do a lot with their balance sheet? I think you want to own it, whether you want to own it right now. I think this thing needs to settle yeah. in. So, by, by the way, guys, just if we could throw up H, Hyatt Hotels, they're withdrawing their guidance. So there's another. We kind of, again, to your point, Karen, we, we kind of expel Hyatt Hotels just saying they're going to withdraw their guidance for the year. But I think if you're a Verizon guy, Dami, or an AT&T, to BK's point, I mean, Verizon was up 6% today. I think it had an upgrade. All of our brains are a little bit fried over the last couple of days. You're not shutting off Verizon because of coronavirus. It's the last thing you're you're going to do. It's it's not a Hyatt Hotels. You know what your business is going to do. No, and there have clearly been some winner. I mean, tangentially, we mentioned this Zoom video since it was, I think, a $75 stock, and you see the move. So there have been some winners through all this as well. But, you know, getting back to Apple quickly because i know on the monday after they said they were going to sort of be hurt by what's going on in china the stock was down i think five dollars from 321 down to 316 and we commented you know it's surprising it wasn't down more the next day the stock's making an all-time high we had a conversation on the desk all of us here saying you know what it's not ridiculous to think that at this stock should retest 280 well not only did it retest 280, it got much lower than that. But it did it on almost 200 million shares over the course of two days. This is a stock that trades 30 million shares a day. So I hear what everybody's saying, and I'm not saying to rush and buy it, but if you're looking for something to trade against, those two days with extraordinary volume are as good as anything on the downside. Okay, good conversation there on Apple, which had a huge day. All right, so much more to do on this Monster Monday up next. The one big group that mostly whiffed in today's record move, what it is, and why it might be worth a second look for you. There's your mystery chart. And then Wells Fargo's Chris Harvey told investors Friday to start buying select stocks. Looks like he nailed it, at least for today. He'll join us again. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go, anywhere on the Fast Money and CNBC app. And we're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Let's now get you the very latest on the virus outbreak. The death toll here in the United States rising does now stand at six with 105 confirmed cases nationwide. And the White House is loudly calling on Big Pharma to step in to try to help. Meg Terrell at CNBC HQ with more. Meg. Hey, Brian. The president and the coronavirus task force meeting with the CEOs of major drug and vaccine makers, Regeneron, Gilead, GSK, Moderna, and research chiefs from Pfizer, J&J, and Sanofi Pasteur. The president trying to get a sense of timelines from these companies. We spoke just now about that with Sanofi Pasteur's Dr. John Shiver, who had just come out of the meeting. We hope to have a vaccine in the clinic within a year or so and hopefully uh, you know, move quickly into development past that towards a product. Uh, as we all see how the, you know, the, uh, the outspread of coronavirus uh, changes or grows. 
And our Eamon Javers asking the president if he'd consider allocating additional funds to the pharmaceutical industry to speed the work. Trump jokingly responded the industry has too much money already, underlying some of the tension from a president who's persistently attacked the industry for its high prices, saying they're getting away with murder, now depending on that industry to speed a vaccine or drug to market. Brian? All right, Meg Jerome, Meg, thank you very much. So, guys, let's talk about some of these biotech names. And, and let's be clear, there's, 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 I, we made screens. There's two different types of companies here, Guy. There are the Regenerons, the Gileads, the Pfizers. These are huge companies that are, have real research scientists doing this stuff. And then there's the small super micro caps that are just being traded by traders around this. You've yeah. got to be careful out there. And I'm going to avoid speaking about any of those micro caps. But we'll talk, for example, Gilead. I mean, Gilead was headed higher before coronavirus. If you go back and look, this is sort of the tailwind for them on what had been a story that was improving with a balance sheet that had been improving. So Gilead makes sense. I think Pfizer, to your point, Pfizer had been beaten up. That makes sense. Merck's had a move from, I think, 95 down to 79. That stock has bounced. That makes sense. Eli Lilly's its own animal. So I think Big Cap Pharma, despite what the president says about them being too rich or ripping people off, I'm paraphrasing, I still think those stocks are fine. And again, in terms of a, 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 a vaccine for this, they're talking about something a year away. Hopefully, this is going to be long over before that. Quickly, there was a scene, if you recall, in Top Gun when they were trying to get Tom Cruise up on Ready 5, and one of the guys came and said it's going to take a few minutes, and the commander on the ship said, an expletive, this will be over in two minutes. That's the same thing here. You don't have a year to play around with this in my opinion. By the way, Guy, your ego is cashing checks. You're writing checks your body can't And I can't wait Um, for Top Gun (laughs) 2 coming out this summer. Gilead also stepped in and had a $5 billion acquisition today of 47, which increases their presence in their oncology and hematology. Uh, The issue with that for a lot of uh, the analyst community, from what I've read, is that it doesn't necessarily move the needle on their 20 to $21 billion revenue line, which is something that they're very concerned about and has been dragging Gilead down because HCV and HIV are still things that are uh, look to be at least uh, drug pipelines that are slowly dwindling. So, again, I, I agree. Biotech had been outperforming this year, had actually been, uh, along with healthcare, a place where investors were actually continuing to find both valuation and earnings, and I think they will. If you look, if you look at how IBB traded as well, I mean, it actually is fairly constructive. Bounced off the 200-day moving average. It's had a very big day here. I think in this environment, though, you can wait for this to break out about above, 20, about above 125 rather than trying to be a hero and buy it on a down day. Well, do you want to go the ETF road or just go the individuals? I mean, Regeneron's up 37% a month. You got a Biogen up 21% a month. Gilead up 19% a month. Well, I mean, the IBB gets you. Gilead is because the biggest. Because you, you buy Those the big are big, ones, right? right? And then the XBI also gets you more biotech. I mean, to me, unless you really, really are deep in the weeds, if you're going to be playing for some sort of, you know, vaccine, or you got to go with one of the indexes. Okay. Well, maybe the group getting hit the hardest in all of this from the coronavirus outbreak has got to be the airlines. The sector is down more than 20% in the past week. Many names simply missed out on today's record rally. The Jets ETF actually finished down a half a percent. Spirit Airlines, JetBlue leading the losses. Tim, has the selling been overdone 
And is maybe there's some value in this just absolutely crushed sector? I think it's overdone in a handful of names. And, and to be clear, the, the entire sector should not be treated the same way. And I think there's financial stress that will be coming through the sector. Uh, Dan made a great point on Thursday or Friday when he said this is a sector that's been, you know, gone in bankruptcy a couple different times. I think airlines are run differently. I think Delta Airlines does not have the same kind of financial stress that an American Airlines and a, and a much is much operational leverage in addition to financial leverage. So uh, what people aren't talking about is where actual EPS in the short run might be more than made up for by fuel costs. Now, I realize that's not a reason to re-rate airlines, um, and in fact, the market rarely does. Uh, but I do think in the case of Delta Airlines, because of their operational leverage, uh, is, is one of the places where, again, the reduction in revenue per available seat miles, RASM, uh, offset by the, the cost, uh, or essentially on the other side, is something isn't going to get a lot better for airlines in the short run, but you've taken 26% off of Delta. Yeah, it is. So, so by the way, just before you jump in, Karen, I did a report on that today. The end of the year, jet fuel costs in the Gulf Coast two dollars and two cents a gallon. At a buck sixty-five today, it's seventeen percent decline. Delta spent eight and a half billion yeah, on jet fuel last year. Deal. So you take that, you take seventeen percent off, at least in the short term, off that eight billion dollar number for American, United, and Delta. They all spent about the same, by the way. That should balance out some of the pain on the lost traffic. And, and I'll just say it again, though. Unfortunately, the market never does this for airlines. So I don't think this is the reason to go in and buy. Um, I think it's basically to look at the existing EPS cuts and wonder where there's actually a bit of value here. So for me, I'm, I'm long some of the airlines, and I always look for things that I want to buy more of when they trade down, and this actually isn't one of them. I mean, I'm thinking about the most severe travel disruption that I've ever seen was 9-11, and I don't think this is anything close to that, and the balance sheets, as Tim said, are in a way, way different place. However, the business model is such that each new passenger is such high margin, right? They have a lot of fixed cost. Yep. And so when you get all these cancellations or you're flying at very, very low, uh, you know, uh, the utilization is down dramatically, that's when you're really going to get just crushing earnings that I don't know how quickly those will come back. If this persists in the U.S. for another two months, that's really going to start to eat into travel season, which obviously is huge for the airlines. So I'm concerned about that. I'm, this is not a, a, a one where they all went bankrupt. This isn't yep. that. But I am concerned about the business model and how, how quickly when capacity is down, it gets crushed. All right. Good stuff there on the airlines. Certainly a group to watch. Coming up, utilization. have the markets really turned any kind of a significant corner? We're going to speak with a strategist who might have gotten ahead of this rally. Plus... How 10 million investors today missed out. We hear you, Robinhood investors, and we've got more on the story about what went wrong on the single biggest point gain in the history of the stock market, and millions couldn't participate. Kate Rooney up on that, and we're back after this. Hi, welcome back to Fast Money. If you're just joining us, history was made again today on Wall Street. Incredible. The Dow surging 5%. That's a 1,293-point gain. It is the largest point gain of all time. On a percentage basis, not at the top, but hey, not bad. Today's bounce back comes after the market handed its worst week since the financial crisis last week. So the question is very simple. Was today's rally an all-clear for your money? Let's bring in Chris Harvey, head of equity strategy. For Wells Fargo Securities, on Friday, credit where credit is due, Chris, on Friday you started advising clients that they could start to selectively nibble or add to positions on names like Visa, MasterCard, and American Express. 
Uh, so good job there. But one day doth not a rally make, despite our use of the word. Um, do you still think there's more to go on the upside? So I, I think there's more to go, but this falls under the umbrella of buying when you can, not when you have to. At a 5% rally, it's hard for us to tell people to chase this rally in the short term. But we do think, and what we want clients to do, is we want them to leg in and leg in slowly. So what we said at the beginning of the year is take risk off the table. We expected some 5 to 10% pullback. You got that. And now what, what confused us earlier this year is the coronavirus. You were paying a 5% premium for access to the coronavirus. Now on Friday, you were paying a 10% discount. That made a lot more sense to us. And we can argue about what that discount should be. But at 10%, that was a pretty good did today. Did today make sense to you and your team? Uh, the, the beginning bounce made some sense. The afternoon, it, I wasn't quite sure why things ran up the way they were. And again, we want clients to be disciplined. We don't want them to chase. We think there's still opportunity there. Be selective. But over time, we don't know how the coronavirus is going to play out. And I think you'll have opportunities as we go forward. And there'll be more volatility. And there'll be some downside. So, Chris, I'm curious. So you're saying on Friday to buy. Right. It's up 5%. Is that all you, I mean, you're saying maybe don't no. buy. Is that all you're expecting to get? <laughs> I mean, so why wouldn't people buy? No, no, that's not all we're expecting. So if you go to our price target, you're looking at a double-digit return, somewhere around 10%. But in the near term, you, if you bought at the low on Friday, you're up 8% in a very short period of time. Again, we can't tell you what's going to change tomorrow, what people are going to say. We know there's going to be volatility. We just don't want you to chase. We think you get a better opportunity. And just be disciplined. Nobody knows how this is going to play out. So leg into this trade. So, right, you're not telling people to go chase it. Um, but you are still at close to 3300 for the year? 33, 3388, almost yeah. 34. The things that made you cautious going into the end of the year, and again, I, I would... It's difficult to argue the market was euphoric. Right. Um, but the world's not only last year's not so great, yeah. it's a lot worse. H- how do you get excited about 2020? So a couple things. One is we're at 166 uh, on our EPS number. The street is coming down to us. Two, if you look at the amount of accommodation that China's putting on the table, and if global central banks do what a lot of people expect them to do, there'll be a ton of accommodation on the table. I think coronavirus will be something temporary. I think when you look back in three months, you'll be happy with these scores. And I could actually raise my numbers in the second half of this year based on the accommodation, based what we, on what we see. And you could possibly see a melt up in the second half of this year. So don't, get, don't be too fearful. Don't panic. There's opportunity and there's value on the ground. So, Chris, let me ask you something. Do you think today's rally is already pricing in a 50 basis point cut by the Fed? Is it, would that be disappointing if that's all it ended up being? So uh, I think there is. I, I can't tell you if it's 25. I can't tell you 50 or 100. But there is some sort of component to central bankers. There is some so, sort of component to liquidity and accommodation. Right. Will people be disappointed? Uh, I think they will. But at the end of the day, we don't think this is a monetary policy issue. We think the markets really need to trade. The markets need to work through this. The Fed's job is price stability and maximum employment. It's not price discovery. And as we look at this situation, I'm not really sure how monetary policy helps. The, the real big issue for us is when credit markets start to freeze. There's a lot less liquidity in credit markets, but I think if you needed to bring something to the marketplace, you could. It might cost you something, but you still could. It's interesting. I mean, price stability you're talking about, that's their, one of their mandates, right? Right. Except that the bond market, the U.S. bond market for the last two years, right. has been the most volatile it's been 
in history. This right. is the United States we're talking about. So they're clearly failing, but yet the market still seems to think that they have this magic wand that can support the markets. At what point, right. I think right now, 16 trillion negatively yielding uh, bonds globally. Right. When does it matter? I, I think it matters now. I think on Friday and this morning and, and even last night, people were worried where is the 10-year going to stop? Is it going to stop at 1%? Are we going to go to 75 basis points, 50 basis points? People are still worried, and I think rightfully so. I don't know where it stops. That's why we're talking about, hey, be disciplined, be patient, leg into this trade. The risks are still out there. Things can open up, and maybe you get a better opportunity at buying them lower. We don't know. But to answer your question, yes, it's still a major concern. And I want to be perfectly clear because you, you guys said Nibble at Visa and MasterCard, American Express. Stocks are up 6% today. Visa, after hours, did cut its revenue projection by a couple of percent. Are you yeah. still recommending those stocks? So what we're recommending is credit card and processors. And, and it's really the theme. And the theme that we're investing in, if you look at these, we want higher quality names. They're higher quality names. We want a stocks that were down double digits. They were down double digits in a short period of time. More importantly... They pre-announce. We want companies that pre-announce. That means they're on top of things. That makes them, to us, investable. And that means that the management teams, we have a little bit more confidence in the management teams. Okay, Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo. Chris, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. All right, so, guys, I mean, you know, listen, I, I, I think this today was such a, conf- I don't want to say confusing day, but I mean, even Chris kind of said, like, they just didn't, under- these are some of the smartest people in the business, really understand a 1,293-point rally. The acceleration, especially toward the end. Well, can I quickly, I, you know, I don't want to get too wonky on this, but, you know, when volatility spikes like this, you see moves like this. And I, it, we in the business, we used to call it bad Greek or negative gamma, which means when you're short volatility, you got to sell on the lows and you got to buy on the highs. And that's happened in spades over the last couple of weeks. So with a VIX at 34 where it closed today, I hate to say it, but you're going to see more of this, not less. Hold on there, Gaius Adamicus. No, I, you, I mean, you <laughs> what is I mean, ne- negative in English, I, please? I inc- when, you sell, when you sell an option, you get paid to sell that option. When you, on the other side of that coin is, you incur the risks associated with that. So although you get paid, there's a risk associated with selling that option. And it's manifesting itself now with VIX going from 14 to 45, closing at 34. So now you wind up chasing, and they chase on the downside by selling, and they chase on the upside. Go back on Friday and look at some of the moves we saw Thursday as well when the S&P out of nowhere rallies 60 handles only to give it all back like this. That, in friends, is negative gamma, and I'm sure they'll talk about it Friday at 5.30 on the award-winning options action. Gaius, thank you very much. All right, happening now. The White House holding a briefing on the coronavirus. Of course, we are monitoring it for you. If there are any headlines pertained to a vaccine, to specific companies, to the economic impact, we will bring those to you. All right, coming up, the big battle brewing over the future of Twitter. We'll tell you what set shares of that stock flying high today. And later on, why options traders say now could be a golden opportunity to get in to gold. I'll explain why. Stick around. All right, welcome back to what was indeed a monster Monday, a huge start to the week. Insert adjective here. Stock surging to kick it off. The Dow rising 1,293 points today. The NASDAQ posted big gains up 4.5%. And one tech stock really took off in today's session, but for a couple of reasons. 
Twitter shares jumping nearly 8%. Probably part of that was, of course, just getting caught up in the market rally. The other part, Elliott Management, the massive hedge fund making a move on the company. Julia Borston is in L.A. with more on what is sure to be a Twitter fight for all time. Julia. Well, Brian, Twitter shares soaring on the news that the active investor is looking to oust CEO Jack Dorsey. A source close to the situation tells me that Paul Singer's Elliott Management is concerned about Dorsey splitting his attention between Twitter and Square and about his plans to spend months this year in Africa. That source says Elliott has taken a more than $1 billion stake in Twitter and has nominated four new directors to the board. Now, Twitter and Elliott have no comment, but that source tells me that talks between the two parties have been productive. Now, Elliott can target Twitter, unlike Facebook or Snap, because Twitter only has one class of stock and Dorsey does not have voting control over the company. Now, between when Dorsey returned as CEO of Twitter in 2015 and just this past Friday, Twitter shares were down 6%. The stock did plummet more than 20% after reporting disappointing third quarter results back in October. Now, Evercore weighing in on Elliott's move this morning, upgrading Twitter to inline from underperform and raising its price target on the stock to $33. Evercore predicting that Elliott will either pursue cost cuts or could install a CEO that could increase the probability that Twitter will be sold. Now, all of this news comes as Twitter's Dorsey cancels his speech at South by Southwest, scheduled for about two weeks from now as the company bans all non-critical travel due to coronavirus. Brian? All right, Julia Borston, NLA. Julia, thank you very much. Anybody buying or owning Twitter just based on the Elliott fight? Well, no, no. No. I owned it before that. I mean, look, Twitter just had its best quarter ever, I would argue, in terms of daily active users, in terms of their revenue profile. And this was after a very uh, disappointing previous quarter. So um, I I like Twitter. I've owned it for a long time and and I've recognized that that I I, I think they've had trouble uh, truly monetizing. But I think there's there's real progress there and there's absolutely a a key brand. Now, the, the thing about Elliott is that they usually say they're stepping involved and they have a whole litany of things that they want to change. They haven't said anything here. All they've, they've said is they want a new CEO who focuses fully on one company. And, and that's interesting. And obviously, they, they benefit just by saying that. Well, it is crazy, right? I mean, we that he's the CEO of two companies. And Square has sort of, he's able to get away with it because Square has done phenomenally well. I mean, it's been an extraordinary home run. Twitter, on the other hand, has really sort of bounced back and forth for years and then, so then to get on and say, all right, I, I'm going to move to Africa half the time, it, it is so crazy. There's no other country <laughs> in the U.S. It's absurd. There's no other <laughs> country in the U.S. People get a lot, you know, they yell at CEOs who live in, in California, but they work in Texas and they commute on Mondays to Thursdays or whatever it is. This is insane. Now, apparently he's saying that Africa is where the future of the business lies, maybe, or or. You know, that could be. It's just the board at Twitter has sort of gotten away from they've sort of been somewhat anonymous and that's no longer the case. And their most important job is who is the CEO of this company? And I don't know that. Do they need a new CEO? They need a full time CEO. Yeah, I think they do. Who's not living literally a continent away. Correct. Yes. Elliot might agree. I think also it's good when you work at a company, you want the CEO to, to be, be there around. physically yes. in the office so you can avoid him or her. 
as much but, as possible. But this was also a relatively easy target, right? In that the fact you have a CEO that does have two jobs, they doesn't yeah. have a, a vote, he can't block it, and you have a stock price that's down. So, you know, to me, this was more about Elliot looking, saying, hey, this is an easy target where we might be able to pick up a couple percentage points if we go in and move things around, yeah. rather than it being, you know, a, a condemnation of Jack Dorsey. Okay, good stuff. Coming up, trading trouble. How a big technology problem possibly left 10 million people missing out on today's record rally. We'll give you an update on Robinhood and what went wrong. And here's a look at our Kramer cam. Jim is breaking down his thoughts on today's big market rally. A lot still left to do. And Mad Money's at the top of the hour. But we're back right after this. All right. Well, it was certainly a record day all around on Wall Street. All 30 Dow stocks higher on the day. They closed up 1,293 points. But many investors, millions in fact, may have been left in the dust, unable to trade. Let's find out why with Kate Rooney. Kate. That's right. Hey, Brian. An outage at Robinhood forcing traders to stay on the sidelines today as markets rebounded. The startup, which says it has 10 million users, announcing a technical issue right around when U.S. stocks opened this morning. Equities, crypto, and options trading at Robinhood, as well as bank transfers, were unavailable through the close on Monday. The company telling users they're continuing to work on resolving this and apologizing on Twitter. But the startup getting a flood of questions over if and when they might compensate traders for any losses. One factor possibly contributing to this and other recent technical glitches could be higher than average trading volumes. Just last week, we had Fidelity, Charles Schwab, and TD Ameritrade saying some clients had issues making trades. Those issues, though, were resolved within a few hours and didn't affect all clients. I spoke to a few legal analysts who say this length of outage is unprecedented and will likely raise the alarm for regulators. As one former SEC official tells me, if you're a broker and people can't get a hold of you, that's, quote, a big problem. Brian, back to you. All right, Kate Rooney, Kate, thank you very much. So, uh, BK, I mean, listen, what do you, Robinhood is a free app. It's a free yep. app. Yep. But that's still going to, I mean, well, the Reddit threads on this are colorful. I'm, I'm, most Reddit threads are colorful. I mean, this, this is in the bucket of fintech, right? But, and, and the kind of Silicon Valley ethos is move fast and break things. The problem you have is you're now in a regulated industry. And so I think it's exactly right that I think the regulators are going to have to take a look at this and say, okay, that's great that you've built this app that's free. You're selling your order flow. That's how you're getting paid. But you have to say, if you're opening it up to the general public, it's got to work on days like today or days like Friday. So I think that's probably the bigger thing here uh, with Robinhood. Okay, there you go. Coming up, gold getting a big bid on this record market day where options markets say that gold may be moving now. And be sure to tune into our ongoing coverage of the wild ride on Wall Street and where we stand with the very latest on the coronavirus, a markets and turmoil special tonight, 7 p.m. Turmoil on the upside. And we're back after this. Well, it really was a gold medal day for the markets, and that included gold as well. The metal rebounding in a big way after a huge plunge over the weekend. And over in the options market, one trader is making a mega bet that gold's rally is just beginning. Let's find out what kind of bet that is with Mike Coe in San Francisco with the options action. Mike. So gold commodity, the futures we saw 
call volume outpaced put volume by about two to one. That's consistent with the bullish activity that we've been seeing in the commodity over the course of the last 20 trading days or so. Most of that activity was concentrated in the June 17-25 calls, and that included a purchase of nearly 1,200 of those calls. The buyer spent $17.20 in premium for those. That's a bet of approximately $2 million in premium that it will rally above that 17.25 strike price. That would represent an increase of about 9% for the metal by June expiration, which is actually in late May because these are futures. All right, good to know there. We'll watch that bet closely. For more options action, you can tune into the full program, which airs every Friday. What time, guys? 5.30, Brian. There you go. Eastern, by the way, up next, your final trades. Final trade time. Tim, kick it off, sir. I'm with Elliot. Uh, I'm long Twitter, and if you look at the trend of the stock off those lows, that last quarter numbers, it was a billion-dollar quarter for them. Good for them. PK. So in this market, I want things that you have to spend money on. Cybersecurity is one of those. CrowdStrike, CRW. Karen? Yes, Alibaba. I like the way it's hung in there. I think there's more upside to go. We have to say rest in peace, Jack Welch. Great man, great CEO. has been on this show. Delta Airlines, major double bottom at 45. All right, thank you all. We'll see you tomorrow night. A big, big Mad Money with Jim starts right now.